Hello, Internet. This is Walter Ciades Fedchuk bringing you another very special episode of the, uh, I guess we're going with Rough Draft Podcast, where the only thing rougher than our drafts is our, uh, I guess, our understanding of how any of these teams are going to play on brand new preseason patch uh, here at IEM Cologne. But first... As we're recording this, some new news has come out out of Riot Korea regarding the uh, 2016 LCK broadcast uh, plans. So I'm going to bring in my very good friend, Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar, so we can touch on this a little bit before we go into IEM Kolo. Chase, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I'm one of those people that always says that you know, we need to give credit where credit is due just as much as we need to give criticism where criticism is due. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, today has been a success where we haven't seen a lot of them this off season. So I'm going to take it for what it's worth and hope that that can fuel me in the, uh, in the rest of this cold off season, uh, where we wait for the LCS to start and for all these teams to get finalized so we can finally get to the fun speculating part of the off season. So for those of you who have, who have been living under a rock or who didn't listen to our last League of Legends podcast, which if you didn't, pause it right now, go back, listen, understand what we're about to talk about, and then come back. We'll wait. Don't worry about it. There's a pause button for a reason. But basically what happened was that there is this uh, broadcast dispute between uh, LCK uh, and OGN and Riot Games Korea regarding the, the broadcasting rights for the uh, 2016 LCK season. <laughs> Bright Korea wanted to bring in Spot TV. One side said, oh, they didn't include us in the conversation. The other side, yes, we did. Blah, blah, blah. Well, now, officially today, December 15th, uh, a few hours before we were recording this podcast, OG, uh, Riot Korea com- comes out with a statement uh, where it basically says all of 2016 will be broadcasted by OGN. OGN, Korea English Streams, will have every single match all the way up until World Championship. Every single match will be on OGN. The only difference between now and last year, uh, this and last year, is that during the summer, some of the matches will be produced in the Spot TV studio through Spot TV, their Korean broadcast, and OGN will have spectator mode. So the only difference for those matches is that the teams won't physically be in the OGN studio, so we won't get any great flyby shots of, you know, Faker or any of the players on the teams like we did last year, which is fine. That's a pretty reasonable uh, uh, compromise. And then the other big thing is that they're not only going to provide OGN with the same level of financial support that they did in 2015, so OGN is going to still have the same amount of support from Riot Korea in terms of finances and sponsor, uh, you know, sponsoring and, and you know, social media presence and all that, but they're also going to start providing Spot TV with a similar level of support, not only in backing up their production costs, but also trying to help them find suitable English and Korean casters looking forward to 2017, where they would more than likely move to this kind of split system that, that we've all been worried about. Chase, you were, you were pretty, pretty against this on the last podcast, and you had a lot of strong things to say. What do you, what do you think of this compromise? Do you think that this is fair? Well, first of all, uh, I, as much as I'd love to jump to 2017, I am firmly of the belief that so much can change between now and then that I really just want to focus on what we have here. Uh, the numbers and how Spot TV handles things, how they make their improvements and how their studio games end up working out, that's going to tell us a lot more about whether this is a good or bad thing in the long run. So I don't want to jump to any of those conclusions yet. This is kind of a great way to have a test run for those kinds of things. We're going to have the ability to have those moments and see how they perform and see how it works out and let them rise to the occasion if they're going to do so without you know, creating a space in which they have a monopoly over the product during the games that Riot would give them, which I think is a huge difference in what we were seeing earlier. Uh, the other big thing for me, and this is something that a lot of corporations don't like to do, but I thought this was really important to point out from the direct uh, translation we have from the Riot Korea uh, page, quote, Additionally, we apologize for all the pain and concern we have caused the fans by simply stating our decisions without explaining how we came to them, nor explaining the context of our agreement in sufficient detail. Uh, We and OGN have agreed to do our utmost to foster cooperation and collaboration as esports partners 
and create an LCK that is more transparent with the fans moving forward. This is huge. This is a much bigger difference than this riot talking on high that we'd kind of seen earlier. From all the disputes that we'd seen, all the stuff we talked about, it was very much, this is what Riot wants to do, so this is what's happening. And whether they're backpedaling because they saw a whole bunch of fan criticism, or whether they're backpedaling because they realized just how much influence OGN had in Korea and how much they had kind of alienated some of their Korean player base – None of that matters to me. What matters is Riot straight up admit we could have handled this better and we're sorry and we're going to work on improving that. Now, whether they do or not, we have to see. That takes time and they have to prove that to us. But very few companies, especially with the kind of power that Riot has, would be willing to admit that they made a mistake here. And the fact that they do that uh, before they even state any of the decisions that are being made shows that they at least understand, if not you know, exactly why people were so understandably upset by the decision, that people were upset, that they needed to respond appropriately and with the respect that this was deserved. And they did that. And I'm going to give Riot credit for that and hope that they do act on what they're stating here when we get to 2017 and those important decisions have to be made. I would agree, but I, I think there's some short-sightedness in esports, especially among Riot, about not going further than just a year out. Like it, One of the problems that I've had is they've now run a, a, a very successful league, whether they say they lose money on the league or not, whatever. That's their problem for not actually acquiring sponsorships and actually doing the dance that you have to do to make something profitable, like the NFL, MLS, NBA, whatever. But by approaching this on a year-to-year basis, you're not allowing that type of investment to come in, which tell like the fact that this is so kind of short-sighted, and this is let's just only do 2016, let's only worry about it, let's only divulge plans for this, you know, only the next year. It it just shows a, a short-sightedness that they still aren't 100% invested into making this a, a long-term sustainable league. But at the end of the day, I think this is a very good compromise for, for us, the fans who personally enjoy watching the OGN broadcasts and maybe giving another broadcaster a shot, something that perhaps cough, 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 hint, hint, maybe they need to do in, uh, in North America and Europe. But with that, we are going to move on to the actual meat and the actual reason that we are doing this podcast tonight. And we are going to bring in our great friend and f- former podcast guest, Tim Sevenhusen from Oracle's Elixir. Tim, welcome to the podcast and welcome to another exciting IEM tournament. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. So much like we did with IEM San Jose, Tim, Chase, and I, we all looked at the teams, looked at their rosters, even though one of them isn't really officially announced yet, and kind of created our own power rankings and then aggregated them together. And we're going to start right with number six out of the six teams there. And it was unanimous across the board who, who team number six was in, in Dignitas, correct, Tim? Yeah, we all we all put them sixth, and uh, I think it's interesting that that happened. Like you always, when you have a, a ranking of one to six, you it doesn't really show like what's the gap between team six, team five, between team five and team four, and so on. And I think you know they we all agreed that they're sixth. I don't know about you guys. I don't call them like a hugely distant sixth, but it's also hard to say how much of a sixth place they are because there's there's this huge question mark with Kiwi Kid not being able to attend. And I think for my my case personally, I I instantly put them sixth once I read the Kiwi Kid wasn't going to be there. If he was going to be there, I don't know. I, I might have had to rethink that. I might have still put them sixth. I might not have. I'm not sure. But but just because they're not going to have, you know, one of their two returning players with them and somebody who has in the past been a big driver of, you know, anything successful they do, Kiwi Kid is kind of out there making some plays and things, uh, that, that really sets them back and it makes it a really big uphill battle for them. I, I think the Kiwi Kid point, that, that was the exact same thing that happened with me. I, I was trying to place them a little bit higher than six, maybe at, maybe at five, but the second we found out that Kiwi Kid will not be attending and he will be uh, replaced just for this tournament by uh, Jezz, uh, the former mid laner for uh, SK Gaming and, and Coast, and he's played on Gamers 2 as an AD carry. Uh, AD carry. Uh, so, 
I'm a huge Kiwi Kid fan. Chase, you aren't so much. So does Kiwi Kid's absence make that big of an impact, or do you just think that the rest of the roster wasn't good enough? Well, I'm kind of known on this podcast as continually us underestimating Dignitas and having that inevitably come back to haunt me when they win five of their first six games before their inevitable mid to late season collapse that has been the Dignitas way, if you will. I didn't like this roster as much as you guys did. I still would have had them sixth, and I think comfortably sixth, just given what we have with the rest of this field, even if Kiwi Kid was there. I think having Kiwi Kid gone makes them a distant sixth for me, because Kiwi Kid is not only a leader on this team as far as a veteran presence and a guy that has proven to be a positive influence on the rest of his teammates, you know, just a, you know, a guy who brings a lot of positivity uh, to the team and seems to be off the rift, uh, just as important as he is on the rift with some of his hard engage ultimates. But now you're left with Shifter. And I know that this almost sounds like I have a personal vendetta at this point because he ruined my favorite team of all time. <laughs> and it's only because it is a personal vendetta at this point. I, I just find it very hard to believe that a guy who submarined a team because he refused to talk to his jungler for not playing properly for a whole three months is now going to be a guy that's going to be a positive influence on Smitty J and Kire, who are challenger guys, are guys that need to be brought up and need to feel comfortable making mistakes because they're going to, because we haven't seen them on a professional stage, because they don't have the same kind of depth in their competitive experience. And if Shifter's not going to be that guy, then it falls to Apollo. And I don't feel any better about that either. He's not the kind of carry that you're looking for on a team like this. And honestly, with both Shifter and Apollo not really being hard carries, a lot of pressure is falling on these new guys to really step up. Do I think they can in the long run? Maybe. I'd love to be surprised. I know, uh, Tim, you had Inner Flame come on your podcast, the True Sight podcast, and I found that interview very interesting. And I do believe that he and Broken Shard are very knowledgeable and have the opportunity to coach those guys up. I just think this off-season tournament that they were so taken aback that they were even attending that Kiwi Kid had a wedding planned for this particular weekend. Uh, this is not the time we're going to see that growth if it happens. Well, yeah. Let, let's remember that originally Team Liquid was supposed to uh, supposed to have this spot. They were one of the two teams that were voted in by the fans, but because of some roster. Uh, a roster issue where they released Chris, uh, decided they were going to be unable to attend. Uh, Tim, is there any player in particular for Dignitas you think could have a a good showing here? Or do you think it's going to kind of just be a very bland, middle-of-the-road, out-of-the-tournament-against-QG very quickly? Yeah, I think... I think I'm going to be watching Shifter pretty closely. I think he's been a hard player to peg for me. Uh, I think he's... He's sometimes underrated... Uh, because of the team situation he's playing in, but I don't know if he's underrated enough to, you know, I don't know if he's so far underrated that he's actually good, or if it's just, he's not as bad as everybody says he is. Like, I'm not sure exactly where to put him. So in a new team environment where they kind of have an opportunity now to kind of remake their, their dynamic a little bit, uh, have some new players in new, new environment and coaching. I'm interested to see what he can do. And, you know, with the meta changing and everything, it's also, that that gives it an opportunity for some new discovery or some new new opportunities. But I, I so I'm probably going to be watching Shifter just to see what he can accomplish, and and mostly you know watch, watching the two the two new guys, Smitty J and Kire. I, I, Interflame you know was very confident in in who they are as players and what they can do, but um, you know you, you need to see it before you can really buy into it. I think, uh, and I'm I'm not sure if this is going to be the right opportunity for them. Um, since they are going up against QG in their first match they're going to play, that's not really the best opportunity for them to come out the gate. They're not, they're not hitting a softball here. They're, they're coming up against, you know, up against possibly one of the better teams in the tournament right off the bat. So I don't think it's likely they're going to do a whole lot. I think uh, it'd be a really good positive sign for Dignitas if they can make a couple of the games close, if they can win a game, that would be great. Uh, If they can get out of lane phase, uh, you know, looking pretty good. I think those will all be lots of good signs and something that they can take positives away from. But uh, I don't think expecting much more than that. A, a series win would be a real far reach. And uh, even winning winning one of the games would be uh, you know really impressive, I think. 
Yeah, and I do want to add one thing just really quickly before we move on. Uh, I want to see how Broken Shard handles some of the pick-and-ban phase. Uh, this is a guy who's gotten a lot of acclaim for the work he's done in the Challenger series as being a very knowledgeable guy within the scene. Uh, he's also known as a meme lord on Twitter. If you follow his Twitter page, it is one of the most hilarious things that you could possibly do within the League of Legends scene. I want to see if he can do it on a stage like this. This is going to be a Zhao Gu team that is very strong that has a lot of team fighting potential that has shown an ability to do pick bans quite well. And I want to see if he can match up with that kind of mind. Um, even if they can't execute it properly, I think if he shows a great understanding of where the game is and how to best use his players, that'll be a positive sign for the growth that we can expect moving forward. I, I would agree. I'm, I'm looking at Shifter as well. Out of all the players on this team, he is the, the longest tenured and the most experienced player the one thing that does worry me a little is that the meta has sort of is sort of starting to shift away from from control mages, and he did not have a lot of success on the few assassins that he played in the LCS in the 2015 LCS. So look for that, and uh, we'll now move on to a team that I don't think any of us really expected to be this low in the ranking at the end of the World Championship. I don't think any of us expected what happened to it. Collectively, we have Fnatic ranked at number five, which I don't agree with. I had them one spot higher. Tim, you had them one spot higher. But because of kind of some delusional fanaticism over this (laughs) out-of-nowhere Korean team, he somehow outweighed our opinions of them and Fnatic is the fifth seed. So so Chase, what about Fnatic has you so worried coming off of a semi-final finish at the World Championship? Well, here's the problem that I have with Fnatic right now, and it's not a problem that I expect to still be a problem when we're talking week five, week six of the LCS. I do think this team is going to be very, very good. In the long run, Delior is a great coach. We know Fabivan and Reckless are great players. None of that is up for debate. Here's where I get concerned. The Fnatic rebuild last year worked because Yellowstar was on that roster. He's a guy I've interviewed a couple times now. He's a guy I hold in very high regards. He is one of the best students of the game that you can find. And it's something that I know Walter's got to make you very excited as a TSM fan that I'm pouring all this praise on him already. Uh, He is just, there's just very few players in League of Legends that just strive to make all of their teammates better the way that he did. We've seen Reckless on teams without Yellowstar before. It didn't go very well. Uh, And and some people could say, well, he wasn't playing with a good support. Uh, The rumored support right now is Noxiac. Noxiac isn't a great support. He's not a bad support, not a great support. There's a huge gap between those two players, uh, especially in terms of shot calling, in terms of understanding uh, some of these when to make certain moves. And being able to make those moves was so instrumental uh, with Fnatic when they were making their postseason run. And the other thing you have to keep in mind is that one of the reasons Rainover worked so well, uh, even early on with that last Fnatic team, is that he spoke English very fluently. So he was able to translate between Hooney, who was still learning, and the rest of the team who was speaking in English. We had the interview with Spirit recently where he openly said, yeah, one of the reasons I want to go here is because I want to learn English better. Uh, I, I think that'll be a, a great skill to add as I, as I grow as, as a player and wherever I go next. And while I appreciate that, and I think that's a skill that he can pick up and eventually take over shot-calling duties to a certain extent, until he's mastered it, I don't believe that Fnatic's going to be able to play with the same energy, the same aggression, the same, you know, you take this and we'll take these two things on the opposite side of the map. I think communication could be a real issue here. And those two things are why I put them at fifth and why I'm very worried in this tournament, uh, not in the long run, but in this specific tournament when so much is already up in the air with preseason stuff, these are all big concerns to me. Yeah, and for my part, putting them fourth, you know, fourth versus fifth, it's it's much much the same in my set of concerns um i think i give fanatic maybe a little more credit for just the sheer sheer individual talent they have up the middle uh you know setting all the communication aside when you've got spirit febivin and reckless lined up in in that middle three positions 
what they can do to just, you know, outplay the lane phase and snowball the game. Like, I think there's a potential for them to do that. Hard to say if that's actually going to happen. It depends on what kind of macro in uh, coordination their opponents can bring out. But, but I think there are a lot of question marks uh, whether the talent alone can carry them through. I, I, I agree through this tournament specifically in, in the longer run, it should work out a lot better. But uh, I think they have a chance to, in a sense, kind of steal some games, uh, and that's why I give them a little bit of credit, a little more, more, little more credit than fifth. But, uh, but they also, yeah, they've got huge question marks to deal with, just with the, the, the language issues, the, the lack of experience working together as a team, um, and especially you know with with the supports position and, and not having Yellow Star there, I think that that is a huge uh, change for them that they're going to have to take a lot of time to react to. Chase for for Fnatic to win this tournament because I I'm not very very I'm not you know still in the stratosphere that you know they don't have the team that they had at the semifinals they're missing you know three very key members of that team but if Fnatic was to win this tournament what would need to happen what would be the one thing that would need to happen for them to win this tournament Zhao Gu would just have to be a mess I, I I honestly the the problem here is that they're on the upper end of the bracket which does not help them in the slightest here uh, because Zhao Gu is a team that we all think is going to be very good. Spoiler alert, uh, we're not going to get to them for a while. Uh, this is just a very talented team fight oriented squad, a team that has their communication on point that has proven to have figured out those issues. And people kind of forget just how good this team was at their core because you know they got second place in the LPL playoffs. But for Fnatic to overcome that would mean Delior would just have to pull some crazy pick and ban out, you know, out of nowhere that no one was expecting. Just sheerly giving these guys the potential to snowball some games before Zhao Gu can get to this team fight spot. But I don't think Zhao Gu is going to let that happen. I have a lot of respect for Hero. I have a lot of respect for, you know, their opponents in this matchup. And I just I struggle to see a way even if Fnatic is better than I think they're going to be in this tournament, I think if they take one game, they've got to be pretty happy given the quality of opponent they're likely to run into. Tim, uh, Gamsu is the repla- is the supposed replacement for, for Huni in the top lane of Fnatic. What do you think he brings to this team that Huni didn't, and do you think that it will help them in the long run? Yeah, so I... I, I put an article out uh last week about about gamsu uh basically asking that question you know what can gamsu do to replace huni i there had been some knee-jerk reactions not only on my part but you know some of the people i'd seen on social media talking like you know gamsu is can play the same type of game that huni played and maybe he can do it better and uh you know people remember back to earlier this year and in, in some of the, like the jarvan four carry games that gamsu had where he just kind of went off and and got super fed. Uh, and so I went back and I watched, you know, probably a dozen of his games, like individually following him around the map and watching every single move, uh, looking at his stats and, and everything else. And he is absolutely not a Huni style player. Uh, I think what he brings different from Huni is uh, he can play some of the tank champion pool. Uh, I'm not sure how relevant that's going to be in this meta. We don't, you know, it's hard. It's hard to say at this point. Um, you know, maybe maybe some Mundo games or something if you want to play on the tank side of things. But uh, he can also play the carries. He has a very diverse champion pool. But he's not he's not the, the Huni style kind of, you know, throw yourself at the game and make something happen and, you know, uh, risk something in order to get a reward. He's he's He actually had a lot of, like, one of the things that really stood out to me about Gamsu playing with Dignitas is he was really slow on a lot of his teleports. He was late into fights. You know, he did have some where where he would come in and he would and he would uh, you know get a good flank off on the teleport, but more often than not, you know something would break out in the bottom lane. He'd be one or two seconds late on his teleport. By the time he arrived, the fight was either won or lost already, and he'd either help on the cleanup uh, or he'd you know kind of fall at the end of the fight after a couple of his teammates are gone already. Like, uh, and and it makes it sound like I'm I'm calling him you know a worse player than I think he actually is, but he's. It, it kind of when you replace the Huni Rainover dynamic, where Huni was the carrier, Rainover's the one who set him up to do that a lot of the time. You know, really, really simplifying it, and you replace that into 
uh, Spirit and Gamsu working together. It's kind of the reverse, where Spirit did more of the more of the carrying, more of the solo play, and Gamsu is the one who is probably going to facilitate his teammates, especially if they can improve the communication relative to what he had with Dignitas. You know, he has the potential to be the kind of top laner who uh, who can play a lot of different styles, who can um, make sure that his other teammates are able to do what they need to do, but I don't think he's going to be the kind of player who makes action happen on his own, who is off split pushing and, you know, knocking down towers while the rest of his team is off applying pressure somewhere else. Uh, if he turns into that, it's going to be because Fnatic as a team communicates in a way that Dignitas in 2015 never did. But at this point, Gamsu is not definitely not the kind of player Huni was, or still is. Uh, and, and I need to see a lot more from him before I really buy into, you know, Gamsu hype on Fnatic. Speaking of buying into hype, Chase, I, I am going to give you the floor here. Because our, our fourth team is the... Nat Cafe joke, joke, joke team that ran rampant through the Caspa Cup. Uh, you know, 2 owing, 3 owing, just undefeated against CJ Antis and against uh, the, the world champion SKT Telecom team. They beat Faker. I, that seems like it'd be hype enough, but, but Chase, give me real hype. Why is Ever going to win this tournament? First of all, I don't think Ever's going to win this tournament. I had Ever at second, thank you very much. And me ranking Ever that way when you guys both put him at fifth is the reason that he's number four. They're number four on our power rankings here. And for the record, uh, I don't. I will go into the full lines at the end of this. But Unicorn agrees with me. Ever is tied for second in their odds for outright winner of this tournament. So I'm not a complete crazy person. And I think if you look at why I value this team so highly, um, because there are basically two things that you have to look at with this team. You have their promotion game to get into the LCK, where they lost 3-1 to Spenu. And people will point at that and be like, oh, look, you know, this team was not very good. Uh, they can't even beat Spenu. You know, this is an aberration when you look at the Kespa Cup. But that was a very different team. That had Hamburger in the top lane and Morning in the jungle neither of which was particularly good. You also had Totoro as the starting support. Uh, he now is benched for Key, who was the MVP of the Kespa Cup. Uh, you now have Ares in the jungle, who is just another example of my good pal Skylar, who has been on this podcast several times. And my favorite game of are they bad or are they just on IM? Turns out Ares was just on IM, and now he's developed into a shot caller that's put them in some really great opportunities to succeed as a team. And more importantly, this is a team that's played more recently in a big tournament against high-quality competition than pretty much anyone else at this tournament. There, you know, obviously, you know, China's had a couple things here and there, uh, and that's the reason I have, you know, Zhao Gu at number one. But this Caspa Cup tournament was Ever's chance to prove that they could con- compete with the best of the best, and they did it. And they did it in startlingly strong fashion. I think Loken is a huge step up over police. I think Athena you know, has made a leap now that he has Ares making shots and putting him in positions to succeed. I really, really like this team. And if they, you know, if they lose due to inexperience, and I'm proven to feel a little bit silly at the end of the day for hyping them up as much as I did, I'm okay with that because I think the young talent that's here assuming that they're able to stick this roster through the Challenger Series, has already shown more than enough that they can compete with the likes of some of the Korean heavyweights. I can't wait to see this team and see if they can prove my faith in them, that they can prove that that airy shot calling that was so key in just throwing opponents off guard and picking fights that people weren't expecting, and Key's ability to just set up Loken so many times for kills uh, in that lane. I want to see if they can do it again, and I think they will. That's where I'm willing to put my, you know, my mind out there just because of the quality of competition that they faced. But obviously, I am in the minority on this particular podcast, so I'd love to hear where you guys come from on this. My one question for you, mm-hmm. will Key be allowed to play Bard? Uh, that's, I think that depends on who their semifinals opponent is. I would guess that he gets one game. Of Bard, because I don't. I, I think the priorities when it comes to picking bands. I don't know if you're going to be able to afford a Bard ban if you're on red side. 
I, I don't know if it's a, if, if Bard is enough of a priority that you you know automatically ban it compared to some of the other things, which we don't know what the meta is going to be, but we know that preseason patches always have a few things that are just crazy overpowered, or at the very least, you know, have builds or whatever that put them at a point where you just don't want to leave that open. So I have a feeling he gets at least one. Uh, and even if he doesn't, I think that he does enough that he'll be able to succeed and, and help Loken uh, continue to make plays in that bot lane. All right, Tim, Dash's hopes. Why are ever not worthy of a second place ranking? Yeah, it's it's hard to say. Like they're they're so hard to peg because we just honestly haven't haven't seen that much of them. You know, there was the Kespa Cup. They did play quite a few games in the Kespa Cup, but but uh, it's hard to to draw out that one event over a you know a relatively short time period and put that into a different context and say, can they do the same thing? You know, at, at the Casper Cup, they basically caught lightning in a bottle, and, and that's not something that necessarily happens twice. Uh, so I, I think my low ranking of them comes at somewhat from a, you know, a prove it kind of attitude. Like, okay, if that was really the real you guys and it had nothing to do with your opponents, you know, underperforming, which clearly like SKT did underperform and, and so on, which not not to take too much credit away from ever, but uh, but I, I need to see them do it again. You, you know, I, I need to see a repeated pattern to the level of their play. Uh, if they can do it, great. Um, I think if the meta was the same as the Kespa Cup, I would actually be less high on them, uh, even though, you know, I, I had them fifth, so that's not to say I'm very high on them at all. But, you know, I, I think you saw at the Kespa Cup, there were some pretty obvious PowerPoints of them playing Bard, playing Gangplank mid lane. Uh, you know, some of the other champions that they used quite a bit... Uh, there were there were some Lissandra picks, things like that, that I think um their opponents could could catch on to and, and kind of see from the way they played and the champions they used and how they used them. You know, you can I think you can game plan against Ever through all of that. But since it's the preseason, everything is kind of there have been more changes since then. It's hard to say whether that information from the Kespa Cup is still relevant. So it's 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 so hard to peg whatever is going to do. Uh, I think that there is enough other just talent and, uh, and opportunities for the other teams to outclass them in different places, potentially, that I'm not sold that Ever's going to be able to do this again. I think also given that this is you know them going on to an international stage uh, and they're young players, I think that gives me a little bit of room for pause as well. Um, I'm completely open to being surprised by them. I'm just not not really sold that they're going to be able to do it twice. Fair enough. And, and I would say that their, their two potential semifinal opponents probably are, are more talented in, in across the board, except for maybe one player out of the 10. And I believe that the, the, the staff that they have behind them, and their coaching staff, will really have these two teams prepared where ever won't be able to catch them off guard there there's no you know sandbagging for this tournament this is the last tournament of 2015 and all these teams really want to you know have had a bit of a break and and haven't you know haven't been coming off with like this crazy long world championship schedule where they're you know now all of a sudden skt is like oh great we got to go play in this random cup that really means nothing to us so i I think that if this was kind of a, a tournament like Caspa Cup where there wasn't a lot riding on it, like let's remember the winner of this tournament gets a spot at the IEM World Championship, which is you know the only other real major tournament in League of Legends besides you know the World Championship where you have a lot of high tier international competition. So I could see that these Western teams especially really really want one of these spots, which brings us to one of these Western teams, Cloud Nine. And I personally, I'm excited to watch Cloud9 because they get to unveil their shiny new toy in Rush in the jungle. And I can't wait to see Rush in Incarnation. And, and Tim, you just put out an article talking about Rush. So what about Rush makes him um, such a, a great early game jungler? Yeah, the, the article I put out uh, was, was about early game junglers in general. Rush being kind of the big standout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, it, it was pure stats. I didn't really dig too far into the, the detailed analysis of, you know, how he did what he did or why he was able to do it. But but the 
the thing about about Rush that's so exciting is that he generates just kill after kill after kill in the early game. So the the article uh, which you can find on unicorn.com slash community uh, it it looks at the first fifteen minutes of games uh, on average uh, from it was from the summer regular season uh, a few different things. So how many kills and assists on average was a jungler able to generate? Uh, how much kill participation did that reflect? And then things like, you know, how much farm were they getting in the meantime? Uh, and Rush was just, you know, so high and off the charts on these. Uh, he had the most kills and assists on average at three minutes. Uh, and and he did this, you know, somewhat by uh, being a little bit selfish with his itemization. Sometimes he would forego sight stones that other people would buy and he would just go straight into damage, you know, not, not buy the wards as much. He would play some, you know, more early game champions, a lot of Lee Sin, uh, Evelyn, Elise, uh, that some sometimes other players weren't using, and he would just prioritize all this combat, uh, getting out there and, and you know setting up uh, impact for for kills uh, and, and being all over the map. He did give him more deaths along the way because you know when you fight more, you're you're bound to die a little more, and he took a lot of risks. But I think that's a dynamic that that not many junglers can bring and did not bring in 2015, which was really the the height of the the kind of the servant jungler meta, you know, you saw SKTB, you know, world champions with Bengi, who is all about, Bengi was also another, you know, very good early game jungler and up in a lot of these stats, but but uh, he had relatively low uh, kill participation at 15 minutes. Uh, so Bengi was, you know, he's sure he's all over the map, making sure his teammates can get ahead, but Bengi's teammates were also on their own generating all these kills. So Bengi might be up ganking for Marin, and meanwhile Faker is solo killing somebody like, it makes it a lot easier for Bengi to to make this uh, to make his stats happen when he's got those kinds of teammates doing their own thing in the meantime and getting themselves fed. So having Rush in the jungle for Cloud Nine is going to change the dynamic of their team so much. I mean, you also have high role swapping to support that's going to change things quite a bit. You know, at least his voice will still be there guiding the team, but the way he plays and you know what champions he's going to be able to pull out is going to be very different. But then you're going to have this this kind of wild man in the jungle uh, with his, you know, I, I think his English has gotten a lot better, but it's still kind of imperfect. And, and maybe they aren't even going to necessarily know what he's going to do in some games just because he's so creative and so unpredictable in his pathing. Um, he's going to be bouncing all over the map, making things happen. And I think we need to see how well he's able to follow the lead of, of high and, and his other teammates and, you know, play to a system rather than playing to a, I'm going to make everything happen all the time, even if it costs me now and then. But uh, but yeah, Rush is going to be so much fun to watch, and the team as a whole, I think, to see them develop in that way is going to be a lot of fun to watch in 2016 as well. Chase, did, did Cloud Nine make a mistake of leaving Balls as their top laner? Yes, <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, it's it's hard for me to look at anything Balls has done over the last, let's say, split and a half, and say that he is a top tier top laner. And I understand the emphasis on stability. And one of the things that we saw from IAM San Jose is that stability to some extent reigns. You know, we had Orihen as the best team at that tournament by a pretty significant margin. And it's because they were a team that had a stable roster and they were still running all the things that worked for them in the previous tournament. And, you know, things that you know, that, that does help. It does help that this is mostly the same guys, that you've now, you know, Lemon Nation has moved to coach, which is pretty much what he was anyway, given he was already doing picks and bans. Uh, you've got High still as a shot caller, you know, in the support role, which, you know, we'll see whether he can play support. Uh, this is going to be his third position for this Cloud9 roster, and I'm not sure exactly, you know, how many successful players we've seen play three different positions throughout a professional career, but we'll see. Uh, we have yet to see for sure how that works out. The thing that worries me, though, is what happens now with Rush and how Rush works with this system. Not because Rush is not a great player, because he is. I've gone on and on about how I thought he was the most valuable jungler in North America last split. And not because Cloud9's system doesn't work, because Cloud9 has proven to be a very strong team in terms of trading objectives and doing this mid-to-late game transition where they're able to slowly but surely kind of you know strangle their opponent out of the game and take the resources that they need. But these philosophies kind of come to a head for me. Uh, you look at Rush, he wants to be making plays 
early and often. He wants to be kind of forcing those those actions and trying to get laners ahead. Balls is not a guy you're going to get ahead early. I don't think Incarnation is a guy I would consider an early game mid laner either. Uh, Sneaky is a guy that likes to you know get his first ten minutes and and keep even or get a bit of a CS lead and then make his big move. That's not how Rush works. It's not how he's worked at least so far in his career. So are they going to try to force him to play to the strengths of the other guys on this team and minimize the impact that he can have in the early game because he needs to be more of a supportive jungler so that these mid to late game objectives that have been their strengths so far are easier for them to take, which something like a sight stone is a huge part of that. High's vision was a huge part of why that Cloud9 team did so well in the first week of Worlds. Or are they going to let him run loose and try to have guys like Balls and Incarnation play a little bit out of their comfort zone in terms of their champion pools and what they've been doing so far and hope that they can keep up with the level of tempo that he brings? I don't have the answer to that. I think that it'll be interesting to see if they have the answer to that yet. I have a feeling this is a team that just needs more time to sort out the balance between those two philosophies because they are very much uh, opposed in certain ways that I find concerning. And I don't think Balls is a good is a good player. I think that if there is some confusion as far as, you know, what we should be going with and and who's going to be making the plays when and at what time I think Balls is a guy that teams can then exploit because if you're not all on the same page, if you're not giving the vision you know, that Balls is needed to avoid getting ganked systematically over and over again, depending on how this meta looks and depending on how other teams choose to attack it, I think it is a discernible weakness that we have two philosophies that we still have to see if they gel together yet. Yeah, I think you know, just to take another angle on it, I think if, if Cloud9 is successful at this tournament – it's going to be because they come in with a clearer plan and idea of what they want to do and how they're going to do it mm-hmm. than the other teams. This is something that Cloud9 has shown themselves to have a lot of strength in before, you know, uh, being creative with new metas and, and coming out with champions other people sometimes aren't using, going into the first week of Worlds and, you know, exceeding expectations so much because they had this, it only turned out to be one strategy and it got, you know, as soon as people had time to sit back and think about it, it got exploited, but but they had this one clear strategy that allowed them to steal games they had no business winning. And I think uh, compared to maybe any of the other teams at the event, Cloud9 has the chance to come in with, with some grasp on the meta or some concept of how to, how to abuse part of the meta and, and win some games in ways that nobody thought they would be playing them. That's going to be a little hard to, to, to see whether that can happen since Rush might have a different way of playing than the rest of the team, as, as uh, Chase was, was mentioning. But, but I think Cloud9 has the chance to, to do this, especially with Lemonation having the, having the time to not think about playing. Just think about, you know, let's fill this notebook with ideas. Let's get everybody, you know, let's talk with High and, and get him to have a vision for how this game is going to play out and then execute on it. So they, you know, they're one of the teams that could win the whole thing or go out, you know, in, in a, a, a blaze of sadness. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. no, I think that's very fair. Look, if Lemon Nation is the guy that we know he can be when it comes to strategizing in a tournament like this, you just don't have a lot of time to prep. He could certainly catch H2K off guard on day one because they won't have any film to look at. Ever is a co- you know, has a coaching staff that is still untested to say the least, you know, they can, they can surprise some people, especially in this kind of format. It's a matter of whether they figure this out with enough time to have it work in this tournament. This is a team that I could see winning the first four games of the LCS because they're doing things that nobody is expecting and they have the perfect strategy for starting the professional season. But these off-season tournaments always come with that caveat of they haven't had a lot of time to play together. They haven't been on a stage together in this kind of environment, and we don't know exactly how that mesh works yet. I want to see it. I want to see Lemon Nation you know, bring that out of his guys. And if he does, this is going to be a really fun tournament. Uh, and even if they don't, I still have hopes that they're going to be a very fun team come to LCS for the, all those reasons. Personally, I can't wait to see what they do in this tournament because last last year, especially in the World Championship, they were very much a two-carry team once High took over in the jungle. There's very much Incarnation and Sneaky carry us. Incarnation and Sneaky carry us. And now that they've added Rush, who 
took a bit more he was a bit more selfish in in, in his gold distributions I'm wondering how their how their gold distributions are are going to change. Are they going to force Rush to change his play style? Is Balls now going to lose more gold so Rush can you know play his kind of greedy level? Is you know are Sneaky's numbers going to go down? So I can't wait to kind of look at the statistics after this tournament and see where their those distributions are kind of sitting as to what their plan is kind of going into the LCS. Is it going to be you know, again, very mid-focused around Incarnation and using Sneaky as a secondary carry is going to be very Sneaky-driven with Incarnation playing a lot of utility uh, mid-laners like we've seen TSM do, and especially at IEM saw TSM do. Uh, so I'm very curious to see how that is going to work out. The other thing that I am I am personally very invested in is seeing how it's going to work out for Given. Joining H2K Gaming alongside Yonkos uh, and Vander from Rockat. So this is arguably a, a European super team. Chase, when you look at this team and you look that this is Forgiven's third team in the LCS, uh, what what worries you about this team? What what do you think going forward is this team's biggest weakness or biggest hurdle that they have to overcome? Well, first of all, before I get to the weaknesses, I do want to give a shout out to both Yankos and Vander, who have been players very close to my heart because they've been on Rocket, which, as people know, is my favorite European team. I've met uh, each of them a couple times. I think they're great guys. I think they handled their exit from Rocket with class, and I just want to, you know, I want to give them a shout out for that because, uh, you know, even if they're not going to be on my favorite team anymore. There are certainly guys that I hope are going to be successful. Uh, I think this is a team that's going to be very successful. Uh, but you asked me about weaknesses, and when it comes to weaknesses, I don't, I can't think of one that comes to mind more than just forgiven being forgiven. I don't, you know, he's a very talented player, and when people talk about him, they always talk about that desire to win and that just passion within himself. He wants to be the best all the time and whatever it takes to get there and however he needs to to push guys and everything else, he's going to do it. And when he goes on shows like Thorin's show and does these interviews, people love it. They eat that up. It's like, oh yeah, he's a winner. He just plays so hard and look at all the flashy plays he does. And then you see how many times he's gotten banned when the team needed him to be on his best behavior. You hear the reports about the, from the Copenhagen Wolves about how this guy was just tearing into players for not working as hard as they could have and not being everything that he felt they could be. And that kind of personality, you know, let's call it a fiery personality. I think that's the nicest way I can put it. Uh, that has drawbacks. That has a situation where if this team doesn't gel in game one, let's say in game one, you know, Cloud9 pulls out some crazy composition that they weren't expecting. They get caught off guard, and it's kind of this cheesy win that just throws H2K off its balance. Is Forgiven going to be the guy that says, that's okay, it's just one game, we've still got this? Or is he going to say, hey, what the heck were you doing on that play? Why weren't you covering that spot? Where was the ward here? Am I going to have to do this all on my own? Which we've seen him do in playoff situations like the playoffs with SK Gaming where he was a guy that desperately needed, uh, you know, tried to hard carry those games. He was almost going out of his way to ignore his teammates and ignore team fights to make whatever big plays he could on his own because he genuinely believed that was the only way that team was going to succeed. This is team four for Forgiven. And at this point, either he's figured out how to work with a group of players or he's just never going to. And this is the most talented roster he has ever had around him. Oduamne is a great top laner. Yankos, an incredible jungler. Vander, one of my favorite supports in Europe. He has guys around him who work hard and have the talent that he has always said that that's what he's wanted. He has that now. There are no excuses at this point. He has to be able to handle himself like a professional and play like one. And that means sometimes he's going to have to make some sacrifices to get the rest of the team to carry and trust them to do that. And that's something that I just need to see from him. I think he will do it. I do believe in this H2K team. There's a reason I had them ranked third. Uh, I, I believe in this team. I just, I, that, if you're looking for a weakness, that's the one that jumps off the table to me, you know. Fool me once, you know, shame on you. Fool me twice, fool me three times. Now we're on time four, forgiven. You know, make it work. No more excuses. Tim, 
when you look at this team, what what do you see? What stands out for you on this team as like the the shining star? Because I I think there's a lot of them on this team. But what what do you think stands out the brightest? Yeah, I think I think something for me that that really stands out is that uh, in the 2015 version of H2K, so much of their game like play style and, and focus was team plays into the bottom lane early, get a snowball going, get ahead, pressure all the lanes, get the towers down. That was another big part of their play. Uh, Odawamne had uh, the most kills and assists on uh, on AD carrier support uh, as as the target in the first 15 minutes of anybody in the whole league. He had uh, 12 total uh Kills or kill? Sorry, just kills. He had twelve total kills on an eighty carrier support during fifteen first fifteen minutes during the regular season. He would teleport into the bottom lane. You know, game after game after game, they would all coordinate around this. That is perfect for playing around Forgiven. Also, just you know, having all three lanes pushed, getting tower damage down, eventually knocking a couple of them, getting a big surge of gold. That's exactly how Forgiven plays. I think there's uh, a lot of inherent uh, kind of. Uh, working together uh, uh, of how this is going to to fit into um, the coaching style, the play style of what the team is used to doing. Uh, you know, they do have three players turning over, but but they've got the same coaching staff in uh, with with probably still coaching. So I think there's a lot of natural synergy that's going to exist just from that, uh, and and that's a that's something that's very encouraging for what H2K might be able to do as a group. Chase. Since you and me, uh, during the regular season, we do, we do the gambling lines, where are the gambling lines for, in particular, the, the H2K Cloud9 series? Yeah, well, this I found very interesting because I, I think the way that we've talked about these teams, we all had H2K above Cloud9, if I remember correctly. Uh, the gamblers do not agree with us on that. Cloud9 is actually favored. It is minus 192. Uh, that's plus 145 for H2K there. And I think one of the reasons we have that is because of all the stuff that Tim mentioned uh, in the last section of just how good Lemonation is as a strategist, You know how much people appreciate high shot calling that's still going to be present, and the fact that there aren't as many new variables at play. Again, in I Am San Jose, stability reigned, and certainly Cloud9 has a lot of that. H2K has a lot of moving pieces here. Yankos, Vander, Forgiven, these guys have never played together. Oduwamne and Ryu have never played with any of these guys. Uh, are they all super talented? Of course they are. I think that's you know completely you know without a question. Uh, Prawley has hinted before in some of his interviews when he was with the old H2K that you know he never really knew which team was going to show up. I think we know what this team is going to try to be if nothing else. But are they ready to be that team yet? Are they ready to ascend? The gamblers aren't as convinced as I am. And I guess some of my you know, belief in this team comes from just knowing how Yankos plays. And now he has a mid laner in Ryu who I think can take advantage of that synergy uh, more than potentially Nuke Duck could. Oduamne is going to benefit hugely from his top lane ganks in a way that you just didn't get from Steve. Uh, and you have Vander now, who instead of having to try and make a guy like Woolite look good, he's now working with Forgiven, a guy who will always capitalize on the hooks that he can bring. If these guys just play to what we know they can do, it's going to work out great. But if they haven't been able to figure out how these pieces come together yet, then Unicorn is going to be very happy uh, with how the lines have broken down for them. For the record, I had Cloud9 second, H2K third. So, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I'm all over that one, guys. I, <laughs> I think the, the main thing that gives H2K a lot of uh, credit, in my opinion, is they maintained Prowley as a head coach. They kept him. You know, he's a very consistent leader for this organization and was surprising when they first picked him up, but he was as successful as he was in, in uh, Europe behind Delior in terms of, you know, coach of the year status. So uh, I think if anyone can figure it out, it's going to be probably in veteran. And I can't wait to see what they do. I think they're the, the second strongest team in this tournament. I, I think that, again, I'm going to say talent wins out, like I said in the last podcast. 
And I think they're as talented as Cloud9 is across the board, with the one exception of I think Odawamne is definitely a step above balls. And with the kind of carry top lane meta that is still prevalent in this these new preseason patches, I think they're just going to kind of run roughshod over balls and get Odawamne to a point where he's able to split push and, and you can't really do much about it. That being said... It brings us to the final team, a team that was not originally supposed to be part of this event, but because of Edward Gaming's withdrawal, we now have the QG Reapers. I'm not even going to try to attempt to pronounce it because I'm going to butcher it, and and all the Chinese fans are just going to hate me that listen to it. So I'm not even going to bother, but Tim, they were number one for a reason. What do you see in this team that makes them your makes them the consensus number one choice here on the power rankings. Yeah, I think you don't even need to dig too deep into the specific attributes of the team, you know, how they play and what their talent is like to put them near the top. You just have to look at what they did in in LPL. Uh, You know, coming into the summer split after qualifying through the LSPL, uh, they finished second in in the LPL regular season. They finished second in the playoffs. Uh, they just didn't quite get it done in regionals uh, in, in, and fell to, to Invictus Gaming. But, uh, you know, they they accomplished so much. And with, you know, not all that much experience behind them, some of their players, you know, they've got a couple of players who have who have some good experience, uh, you know, playing at the pro level. But but as a group, you know, having to come through through basically the, the, the Chinese equivalent of the Challenger Series, coming in uh, and, and getting some good success happening... You know, and then you just also the fact that they have the same roster, uh, which is something none of the other teams can say. Just carrying that consistency through is a really good uh, a sign for them. And then you do talk about how they play, and, and you know they're such a good team fighting team. They do things uh, in the team fights that you know winning team fights from down in gold sometimes, and 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 making things happen that you wouldn't expect them to be able to do. Uh, you. You know, you can't say that we we all put them first, I think, but you and you can't say that they're absolute like running away, like there's no question they're going to win this. But they're definitely favorites. Uh, I, you know, I think if if I had to to call some potential kind of weaknesses or challenges for them, it might be that the changing meta might throw them off, like it could with anybody, and just makes things more uncertain. You know, I, I think in a lot of ways, when I you know, I'm not I'm no expert on 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 them or on LPL in in general, but. Uh, from what I have watched of them, they they play a lot of the kind of the stereotypical Chinese style of you know fight 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 until somebody wins and and if somebody can come come at them with a with a more developed kind of map based play style and force them to make some hard decisions they aren't used to making, maybe that's going to be something that throws them off. But I don't know. I still had them first, and I think they they've got a good chance to to take this all the way. Well, this is why I love Zhao Gu so much, com- even compared to some of the Chinese teams we got, which I'm glad you brought up regionals because so many people, you know, they didn't see them at world. So it's like, oh, you know, are, are, is this team as good as people are making it out to be? That was a weird patch. They were playing on 516, which I think we all kind of agree in retrospect was a little unrefined as far as patches go for competitive play. So I'm willing to give them a little bit more slack on that one, uh, especially given that Invictus Gaming then did exactly what they did at Worlds, which you know, is what it is at this point. I try not to let these, you know, all of my teams let me down eventually. So I try to just move on from it as quickly as possible. But with Zhao Gu, I think one of the things that set them apart for me is just that when people would try to play that objective game with them, their ward coverage was so good that they were able to stop that by picking those fights at the right moment. You just, you couldn't get away with this kind of split pushing style. Uh, it was very hard for individual outplays to really take them out because by the time you started what you thought was a two-on-one fight, it was suddenly a 2v3 because two guys had come in and collapsed perfectly because they had seen it coming already. Uh, They're just really good at this understanding of where is the other team going to be and why are they going to be there? And then it comes down to their ability to, to fight it out and to be organized and fight as a unit in those battles. Uh, there is a reason that in their opening game against Dignitas, they are a minus 2,500 favorite in that series. There's a reason that they have the the, the lowest outright winner odds at plus 150 uh, through this tournament. They are a team that just plays so well as a collective unit. And when you look at how Orihan won IEM San Jose, it's because of 
all of those same traits. It was understanding what objectives were important when and working as a five-man unit to accomplish whatever goals were needed at that time. And I think Zhao Gu does that better than any of the other teams here, if only by the sheer nature that this is a team that has stuck together uh, as a unit and has that experience of working with each other, of of bouncing all these things off of each other and knowing when to go in, when to back off and, and picking the right kinds of fights for them rather than some of the communication stuff that'll get figured out with time for sure, but you know is naturally present in teams that haven't had that experience playing together yet. I, I would concur. I think that they're, you know, by and far ahead of every single team that are here. They haven't had any roster changes, uh, like pretty much everyone except ever. And they are a much more uh, experienced team than ever. So you have to give them a lot of credit. They're in a very good position here. They have a very uh, easy uh, path to the, the grand finals, according to our power rankings, you know, with a team Dignitas team that, like we said, has, you know, uh, basically three challenger players essentially playing for them and, and, and Shifter and Apollo, who are not even regarded as, you know, top three, top four players in North America, which is considered a weaker region than the LPL. And then Fnatic, who we have no idea, you know, how long their roster has even gotten a chance to play together, uh, even though the talent level might be there, uh, you know, other than the Noxiac. But I don't think that, that TCT is going to be that much better than, than Noxiac. Uh, but I also didn't watch a tremendous amount of LPL, and I know that a lot of people did say that... Uh, T, uh, TCT and TNT in particular played very well together as a bot lane. So we will see. Uh, Tim, when it comes down to it, what two teams do you think we're going to see in the grand finals and who do you think will be the winner? Uh, I think, trying to remember how the the bracket is lined up exactly, but but you know I think Xiaogu is going to get through from their side of it. The other side is what, Cloud9H2K leading into Ever? Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah, I think Cloud9 H2K is a very hard series to call, but you know, I got to stick with where I put him in the power rankings. I think Cloud9 is going to find a way to to kind of surprise their way through H2K on some level and, you know, and and maybe some of their their talent up the middle will do it as well. Uh, I think Cloud9 is going to to going to make it to the finals. Uh Chagu is going to be a, a a bit of a favorite to to win in the finals at that point. Chase, same question. What two teams make it to the finals and and who's going to take home the trophy? Uh, well, I'm going to stick to my power rankings. I think it's going to be Jaogu versus Ever. I just think, you know, like we said before, Jaogu has a very easy path to get to those finals, and I think they are the best team by a, by a significant margin. And when it comes to Ever, they only have to win one series to get there. And by that point, they will have seen, you know, if Cloud9 has some secret strat that they plan on pulling out, they will have at least seen some of it and they will be able to prepare. They have a whole day in between the <laughs> quarterfinals and the semifinals to do something, if only to ban out, you know, whatever it is that really threw H2K for a loop in that situation. And if it is H2K, then I think that Ever right now is a more cohesive five-man unit than what H2K is likely to be just given that they haven't had as much time to play together yet. Uh, I understand that there is a potential for this ever team to, you know, be under the bright lights of, of this tournament and kind of falter under it. But, you know, people underestimate just how important the Kespa Cup was for these teams. For a lot of these players, this was their last chance playing together as a unit, making it to IEM and winning these kinds of tournaments within their region. It's a huge deal at the very least in terms of of pride and and respect within the region you don't want to lose those matches when skt put in faker in game two it wasn't because they were goofing around anymore they wanted to win that series and the fact that ever was able to stand up to that the fact that ever was able to deal with coco who was having a great tournament up until that point uh i have a lot of respect for ever and the kind of talent that they've gone up against and while the sample size may come back to bite me I'm going to put my faith in that right now. Well, both very interesting opinions. I, like both of you, think that uh, Kwagu, like I said, I'm going to butcher it, QG will make it into the, uh, into the grand finals rather easily. They're going to kind of storm through Team Dignitas and, and Fnatic because they just, 
I don't think that they're quite there in terms of the team cohesion, even if the talent, especially on Fnatic, might be there. Uh, and I'm going to stick to my power rankings. I think H2K, uh, H2K Gaming is going to make it out of the lower half of the bracket. And I think this is going to be a, a interesting grand finals, but I think in the end it's going to go a 3-1 to the team from China. And that being said, that's a preview of IEM Cologne, which is set to take place on December 18th uh, in Cologne, Germany, at the former site of the uh, EU LCS. And with that, Tim, how about you go ahead and make some shout-outs and, and lead us out of the podcast? Yeah, and just to lead into those shout-outs, there will be a, a companion article with some some text-based, uh, you know, obviously there's more depth here. It's not going to take you an hour to read the article, but but check that out too if you want to get a little bit of a different take or a little more context on our power rankings. Uh, and you can always find more of my articles as well, unicorn.com slash community. Uh, and, and all the stats for IEM, as soon as you know they become available, uh, we'll put them onto oraclesalixer.com so you can uh, browse through them there. You can see the IEM San Jose stats and, and lots of other data in there as well. And the TrueSight podcast. You always forget to plug the TrueSight podcast, Tim. It's because I haven't had an episode recently. I've been in a little bit of a break uh, leading into the holidays. So, mm. yeah, you can uh, check out truesite.net. I do some uh, some occasional kind of side articles there and, and also a, a, a separate podcast as well. Chase, where can the lovely folks at home find you? Uh, I am on Twitter at, at @redshirtking. I also, if you go to unicorn.com slash community, uh, I love to do little write-ups kind of surrounding this podcast, just talking about the general themes that we discuss here and really tying it together as a whole. I'm probably going to write a little bit about the gambling odds for this particular tournament because I find the outright winner odds particularly fascinating. Um, but otherwise, just follow me on Twitter. I will be live tweeting during this event. I know that I said before that I was going to live tweet the WCA, but after seeing the way that the World Cyber Arena has handled everything for Heroes of the Storm, which if you haven't heard our preview for that, uh, that came out yesterday, you should totally go do that. But uh, after seeing some of the disorganization and the craziness there, I think I'm going to stick to IEM Cologne. Because uh, no matter what they do and no matter what delays IEM throws at us, it will still be more organized than whatever comes out of the World Cyber Arena. <laughs> well, I'm going to need to get a couple more monitors, I think, for this weekend to watch WCA and my boys from Cognitive Gaming uh, storm storm the beaches of China and, and bring it home as they're the only North American team there. But I'll also be watching not only the League of Legends at at Cologne, but also the uh, Counter-Strike tournament. You'll watch me bounce probably between all three games in terms of my, my Twitter content, which can be found at C80s underscore LOL. That is at C-E-A-D-E-S underscore LOL. And you can find us and the rest of our amazing content over at Unicorn backslash community. We post our gambling odds for the LCS season, which I can't wait for that to start back up again in January. You can also find us on iTunes. Research, uh, Type in the search bar, Esports Gambling Hour. That's the, the name that we started with there. We're, we're toying with the, the rough drafts idea, and when we nail it down, uh, if you subscribe to us on iTunes at that Esports Gambling Hour name, when we do change the name to whatever we change it to, you'll already be there. You won't have to worry about you know typing in a new name in the search bar but if you can't wait that half hour it usually takes for it to get onto the itunes store you can also follow us on soundcloud again searching up esports gambling hour and with that gentlemen that's an iem cologne preview podcast can't wait to watch the games we'll talk to you guys live on twitter as they're going on but until next time goodbye internet <laughs>